It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the podcast, the Nature Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm your host. And welcome to season 15, amazingly, 15 seasons. And this is all about mindful walks in nature and exploring the outdoors and just putting one foot in front of the other and sharing it with you. And this week, I'm heading to the Ridgeway, one of our oldest walking trails, one of our oldest roads. It's linked communities for thousands of years and and has stories in every step. Now, I was lucky enough to go there with anthropologist and archaeologist Mary Anna Hota, who is the patron of the Ridgeway Trail. So she's celebrating the magic of this amazing path and also the historic sites around it. So she took me to some of those And it really was a spellbinding day out. I hope you enjoy it. It's a late autumn day and I've arrived in the eerie stone circle of Avebury, depths of Wiltshire. I'm surrounded by the huge outer mounds that form the circle surrounding the the stones, which lie tumbled and some standing tall. There's a bit of sunshine, but it's very windy. But I'm here to meet Marianne Ahota, who is... So I can see her in the distance, standing by one of the, one of the tallest stones here in Avery. And um, what we're going to do is a, a circular walk, starting and finishing at Avebury, which is sort of the undersung wonder, archaeological wonder, of uh, southern England. Stonehenge gets loads of press, but Avebury, I think, for me, is the more spectacular and special place to explore. I agree, I agree just driving in with those massive great sarsen stones sort of hanging over the road and these, what are these sort of like bound, is it like a boundary? Uh, yes, um, yes, you've what? spotted the superhenge Fergus. <laughs> so this is a I like spotting superhenges. <laughs> <laughs> it's the long. So what this is, is it's an encircling earthwork it's about 500 metres across and Avebury is a kind of set of concentric circular monuments, mostly. There's lots of other complicated things going on as well. So you've got this huge earthwork henge. It's got a bank on the outside and then a really big ditch on the inside. And then inside that circle is are two other stone circles and a big outer circle and then all sorts of complicated little stone arrangements within those those, um, it really monuments. is complicated. I mean, it's hard to see the circle. I mean, yes, it, it's very circular site, but it's hard to see the circle of hinges because a lot of stones are no longer there. Yes, uh, yeah, there's quite a few missing, but there are certain sections that have been um, resurrected and others, a couple of stones are still standing as they have been for, for 5,000 or so years. So this site is older than Stonehenge. And the weird thing about it when you were saying sort of driving in is you're absolutely right. There's a road that goes through this amazing (laughs) monument and a village. There's a whole village. Avebury Village is literally inside this extraordinary prehistoric landscape. The the path that we're walking on now to kind of make this circular route, we're going to join up with the Ridgeway, which is an ancient prehistoric track, and then do a sort of loop to the south that takes in lots of other very old monuments about 5,000 5, years old to, to about 4,000 years old so this site has clearly been very 
sort of intensely focused on for millennia. But the village itself, we know that it was quite a quite a significant village in medieval times because that's the first records that we have of people smashing up the stones (laughs) or or burying them because they're kind of considered to be the devil's stones and you've got to get rid of them because you know you can't be a christian a good christian and have this kind of terrifying monument around you that's why it's really weird they've built a village in the middle of yeah they've got a church yeah this kind of center of ancient power yeah Yeah, maybe that dispels the (laughs) pagan forces that's it that's it um more and more we learn that these um, prehistoric monuments that in our minds are kind of separate from the secular you know rough and tumble of everyday life probably weren't they were actually sort of amongst um, everyday life but that said this is special and odd this is the um, I don't know the great temple the holy city except not a city Still. This is where people would have come from a long, a long way around, do you think? I, th- I think so, yeah. Um, w- what you've got is, is the Ridgeway, which is now a national trail, but has been a, kind of a routeway in existence for, again, millennia, um, travelling up over the, sometimes the high ground of the Chalk Downs, depending on the weather, people were very pragmatic in the olden days. So if it was like really wet and cold and slippery, you wouldn't walk up on the top of the chalk. You'd, you'd kind of find a route down in the valley. But fundamentally, it's a route that helps people travel east-west across the fertile valleys of, and, and uh, land of, of southern England. I think maybe it was also a place where, you know, every year or every few years, everyone would have a big shindig oh, and sort of good. a gathering place. Yes. Um, so not, look not at... solemn and kind of, but actually a party. <laughs> well, possibly both. Yeah. I think it's it's always quite useful, isn't it, to think about. Um, I don't know. Imagine going to Glastonbury Music Festival now. There's people getting, you know, completely off their heads and kind of going with the music. There's people going with their friends, and it's actually all about who they're with. It's people going there to meet other people. Um, but there's also probably some people who are having a really uh, quite a profound spiritual experience or taking part in some kind of collective endeavour that makes them feel like they've transcended themselves. Yeah. And it's all happening in this one site that then kind of has this memory and people talk about that place or that experience. And I think, you know, fundamentally, lots of things have changed. We've got smartphones and, you know antibiotics but fundamentally the things that drive us and the things that make our hearts sing they're they're exactly the same as they were for our ancestors six thousand years ago very hard spindle berries here excuse me i was wondering what they were yeah i haven't seen them for a long time but i collect them for christmas decorations um so we're just coming out of the village past the farm and the ridgeway is on a ridge of chalk downland up ahead of us so the, the land rises and it runs across there, is that right? Yes, across that's right. North to south here. Mm-hmm. So we're coming out of Ave, uh, so we're coming out of Avebury Village now to the east to join up with the ridgeway, which runs along the high ground. And you can see a big stand of beech trees upon the brow of the hill. It's a lovely clump. Yeah, it's, it's, it's gorgeous, isn't it? From a Ravilius painting or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just beyond that is a, an area of land which is open access land, so you can wander about it freely. Um, and it's called Fifield Down, and it's one of the places where sarsen stones are naturally found. And these are the stones that you find raised up as standing stones in these huge sites like Avebury and at Stonehenge. So, it so wasn't I'm too far to go to get the stones. No, well, you say that, but if it's 100 tons, it's a really long way. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, but not like Stonehenge with. Not, not from West Wales, no, no. no, no. But these, uh, Avebury is like um, a monument on steroids. The stones are absolutely vast. The other amazing thing about Avebury is that you can get right up to close to the stones. No tickets, no barriers, no payments. It's yours to explore at will. Um, so you can get a real sense of the scale of the monument, which is huge. We're going to go back to Avebury at the end. So that's going to be yeah. our loop. But you're, you've got a particular interest in this ridge, in the Ridgeway, haven't you? I have, yes, because as well as archaeology, the other thing that I really love is walking. And I'm very proud to say that I've been asked to be the patron for the Ridgeway National Trail's 50th anniversary, which runs obviously for the whole of 2023. 
So it's really exciting to have the opportunity to introduce you to a section of it. Yeah, this is the western end. The other end of it is about 90 miles away in Buckinghamshire uh, and it terminates at Ivinghoe Beacon. Lots of people do it as a, a kind of a through walk over a week, but there's loads of really wonderful routes where you can just explore a little bit of it. Little tasters. That, yeah. That, um... There's something about the scale of it. When you're on the downland, everything else sort of hushes down a little bit, doesn't it? And, and this time of year, I mean, if you ever want a, a kind of an extra reason to get your shoes on and get out of the door when, the, when it's cold, this time of year is beautiful because you get those low sunlight days, those really long shadows, really good for archaeology because you can spot the earthworks much more easily. I don't know. The downs are soft, but there's something mysterious about them. I, th- I think they kind of... I'm going to get all poetic and a bit wah-wah no, no, now. <laughs> on a wild autumnal day. Yeah, no that's around. it. Um, Apart from 70,000 listeners. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. You're, well, they're welcome to join us. I, I think there's something about Downland. It feels like it holds memories. And I don't know whether that's because archaeological monuments, particularly prehistoric monuments, have survived more here. Even this is an ancient trackway. It's known as Green Street or Herapath. So it's, a, it's like a... A, a war road or perhaps a, a green lane for people droving so you'd keep your animals yeah. kind of close to your 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 home place but then you drive them up in the summer onto the downs so this itself that we're on now not on, not on the ridgeway yet but this path that you can see winding up into onto the ridge it's, yeah yeah that's interesting so, so but a war path what would that do on the war path yeah it's it's a funny it's um it's it's a it's a strange anglo-saxon word Herapath. Um, it takes you back to that idea that roads and tracks only exist in places where people wanted to go from one place to another. You don't make them up for no reason. No. I think it's a bit weird that it's called a herapath, though, because I think fundamentally this is a drover's road for seasonal grazing upon the upon the high ground. Up on the hills, yeah. And then you look left and look there on the on the brow of the. Can you see the brow of that? Look, yeah. That's um that, that that hump. Oh yeah. That's a that's a Bronze Age round barrow. So later than Avebury, this is around um, probably about 2000 BC okay. to about 1500 BC, and that's a, a burial site for someone. They'd be buried under. Those that. are lovely and mysterious. They're all across this land. There was a period of time in sort of 1700s, 1800s, when um, wealthy landowners who kind of had a sort of collecting mindset, part, partly sort of proto-scientific, but also like we're gonna, you know gather up all the treasures in these mounds and more often than not there weren't actually that many treasures um, and you kind of read diary reports of you know I set the workmen to dig into the mound and uh, all they found was some old bone so I threw that away and you're like ah so one of the things that um, uh, that has come up from, from these really dry summers that we've had are really clear crop marks Ah, where you can see yes. in what is now like aerial photos aerial of, photos of, um, of fields and hills and things showing up sort of lines is it? exactly so either a mark where it's a darker color where the plants even though they're under sort of drought conditions um the, the ones growing in a particular area appear to be getting a little bit more nutrition or the leaves are growing in a slightly different way that's an indicator that there used to be a ditch there and so the soil is slightly different. So it retains this memory. You've talked yeah. about memories in the landscape. Yeah. But clearly land does retain these memories in a sort of geological way. Thanks. Yeah, I think there's a corn bunting over here. This little sort of scratchy. Yeah, it that? may not yeah, da, 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 yeah. Like a, that's a corn bunting. Oh cool. Which is weird that it's singing this time of year, but yeah, like a jangling of keys. Yeah. Yeah, that's corn bunting. It's somewhere over here. Wait, we're like, should I be looking in the sky or on the ground? It'll be on the ground or on a fence post somewhere. I didn't bring my binoculars, otherwise it would be... I'll have a quick look up here. Just, It's I a very... The one sort of well, maybe, yeah. I could, I could, it's difficult with these earphones. Uh, what, uh, what am I looking for? A Don't very, very brown, dumpy-looking bird. It's oh, the lovely. size of a finch. A little brown It is a sort dumpy. of finch, yeah. It's... It might even be just out in the middle here. It's very hard to see it. It's very faint as well. So this chalk is really slippery when it's wet, um, and it gets kind of very rutted quite quite quickly, and really slick. It's, and if co- you it's walk like concrete. For a day, yeah. yeah, if you walk for a day, your your boots or shoes end up absolutely caked in these huge clods of horrible, thick, slick chalk. And yeah. um, it does make me laugh because I kind of 
sometimes sort of the modern idea is like it was the M4 and so people obviously followed this route and this route alone people were like really pragmatic I mean you wouldn't bring your pack animals or yourself up onto the high ground where you get hypothermic and fall over you know people aren't idiots they would have walked at a low level path if the weather demanded it yeah I like that about your your interpretations of stuff it's like when you did the Knowlton Circles it's very much like hold on a minute this isn't all ritual this is (laughs) there's practical stuff going on here there might be one on the fence up here I don't know oh is that could be there's definitely one really close by here lovely quite heavy yeah that's a corn bunting oh brilliant see it's like a sparrow like a big 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 fat sparrow yeah yeah it's not going to sing for us so we're on the ridgeway. This is amazing. This is the ancient path. So yeah. we're walking in the footsteps of, I mean... Thousands and thousands and thousands of years of people perhaps be travelling from the wider, dispersed agricultural settlements in, in this area down to what would have probably been very well-known, uh, very special ceremonial centres along the River Kennet around Silbury Hill Oh that's behind us, okay yeah just to the south to the south, yeah but also it would have been a a trackway that people would have used to access the downland to graze animals in the summer Um, so in the winter it's, it's windy, it's cold it's slippery and so you wouldn't necessarily bring your sheep or cattle up here but in the summer you kind of turn them out people would camp up on the hills probably and sort of have a bit more seasonal grazing i see so um look at these flints here they're just beautiful on the so flint yeah. and chalk go together yeah Pause. ten a penny you can pick a great few things they're these really things fantastic and you can see that it doesn't it does take skill you need to know what you're doing but you knock off the edges of this this white stuff this skin it's called the cortex of a flint nodule and then you get to this beautiful, smooth, it's um, very fine-grained flint. And that's... It's the black stuff in the middle. Yeah. Or the sort of, sort of bluish... All sorts of different colours, yeah. That's a, and um, you know, and that's you know what, what the blade is in ancient times, is the, um, is the black stuff in the middle. Yeah, that's it. So you ah, kind of knock off okay. this where it's, um, it's sort of had a chemical interaction with the soil around it. And you get to this uh, sort of the pure stuff inside. You know, like the, the juicy bit of an orange, you get the peel yeah, out of yeah. the way. <laughs> <coughs> And then you, you strike it in certain ways to, to get the blades that you need. So either a really sharp blade or a flattened, softer bit that sits in the palm of your hand or gets hefted into the, hefted into the uh, handle of your tool. But they the make a lovely sound, actually. When you dropped it, there was a sort of glass-like sound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we've left the ridgeway and we've entered this amazing landscape of... Like, it's, it's weirdly different from all that arable land we've just come into. And this is Fyfield Down, I know it, but these stones are sort of weirdly scattered around the landscape. Yeah, so this area um, is where these stones have been deposited um, naturally. And these are sarsen stones, it's a type of a sandstone, and it's the stones that you find at Avebury. It's also the the bigger stones that you get at Stonehenge. Um, Apparently the reason they're called sarsen stones is because of their association with these ancient monuments. sort of in the medieval period when anything that wasn't Christian was a Saracen or sort of Moorish or, <laughs> oh, really? you know, foreign exotic thing. Saracen stones. So these are Saracen stones and it's a sort of... Um, they're, yeah, they're, na- they're natural and you can see them just bedded into the landscape. Yeah, they look like they're asleep and they're covered in lichen. So we've been wandering around uh, in this amazing landscape of jagged stones out, uh, just jutting out of this turf. And Marianne's just dr- dragged me over to this this particular stone with it's like a wedge of cheese just sticking nose down into the ground but on one side are these great claw marks like they must be 18 inches long more than that two feet long like great grooves so what's what's going on here so this is a polisher or polissoir stone and these grooves here that you can see and this dished yeah, shape as well in the surface of the surface of the stone you can feel how smooth it is it really is. These so are grooves soft. that have been created by people using this stone time and time again to polish ceremonial stone tools 
to an absolute beautiful mirror finish. So this isn't your average get a stone tool ready to, you know, use it, you know, Punch around the house domestically or, 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 or as a weapon. Yeah. These are ceremonial and you can feel how smooth it is. The equivalent would have been uh, on the finish and, and they're like mirrored finish stone tools. They're absolutely beautiful. So you fa- have you found, um, people have found these mirrored yeah. stone tools? You can see these in Devizes Museum and Salisbury Museum or online, um, yeah. search ceremonial stone axe and you get the incredible colours and, and textures of the, the stone. Of the flint, is it flint then that would be ground? No, they would have used other uh, they could have used flint but it, that doesn't really polish in oh, this way, okay. that you kind of nap, you break it to, oh. to get those edges. So these would have been um, sort of fine grained um, stones where you can kind of polish it and then you'd, sh- you'd, you'd knock it into a kind of rough out shape and then you would use this to, to polish it. It's like a knife sharpening block, yeah. I guess. Neolithic knife yeah. sharpening. And then through experimental archaeology, people have worked out that probably you would use um, maybe leather. You, you could possibly rub like animal fat into it to give it a sheen. So these would have been things that very high-status people would have had, perhaps would have been used for trading long distances, perhaps used as gifts um, or in marriage exchange, things like that. So this is the... Absolute this is being given jewels. the yeah. yeah or the I don't know the Rolex watch or ah, yeah, yeah the crown good. jewels yeah here's a here's an enormous kind of prestigious you know thing, tiara yeah. this yeah. is the the stone the Neolithic equivalent of so I'm assuming this stone hasn't moved or will it have moved well that's a good good question um, to use it as a polisher stone you would have used it sort of flat like this but there are some people who speculate that maybe at some point this was a standing stone as well right. so it was raised up possibly after it was used for this and actually a site that we're going to see we're going to be walking towards now uh, further south of here uh, which is West Kennet Long Barrow they've actually incorporated a polisher stone into the construction of this oh, really? tomb so they've taken old 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 stuff into a re- yeah it's, it's yeah. already very even old. for them yeah, yeah. they had that sense of of history and heritage and incorporating something that was meaningful to the ancestors yeah, extraordinary that's yeah it's really, really cool actually, that, uh, and i kind of love this because you come in through the open access gate and you walk slowly downhill and you have to look out for the triangly stone it looks like yeah. a piece of toblerone <laughs> next to a, a kind of wizened old hawthorn near the gorse that's, That's what it. you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, then... The th- th- three words. <laughs> gorse Toblerone. Gorse Toblerone turf. That's yeah. it. Hawthorne Gorse Toblerone. There we go. They're, if you want to find this polished... Poli- polisher. Polisher. Polisher stone. Well, Polissoir. Polissoir, if you want Polisoir. to be fancy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel, I feel like being fancy now the sun's come out. So, <laughs> and you can find the um, grid reference or the lat long online as well uh, for this site. Well, I've never been... I have been to Fifield Down before. I've never seen this stone. I'm really grateful to see it because it's sort of magical it's and cool, it's kind of touching it? it now and it's a sort of it's not even really cold in this sort of cold and wet miserable day it's just something kind of there's almost life in it it's got... lovely to think that this spot because you're right this stone hasn't moved anywhere it might have become upright and <laughs> mm. fallen down again but it, it's always been in this place yeah that we're now literally sitting on the same earth that people have come here for yeah. six thousand years minimum to do something special and to have a moment with and it would have taken them a long time I mean knife sharpening is a tedious long job anyway tens maybe hundreds of hours on one one item that's sort of again it kind of it's what you said in the previous podcast that their life can't have been just purely survival and um, they had time to build these things they had time to spend they weren't always thinking about the next meal or the next storm or the next war band coming over the horizon. They had time to celebrate, to reflect and to build things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's not always to say that, you know, it was this sort of, like, idyll. No. It may <laughs> no. well have been... There's somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah, well, it could have been a, you know, sort of a crackpot elite leadership <laughs> who were forcing the overworked and underfed masses to a greater or lesser extent. Sort of Egyptian uh, yeah, it could have been. Sort of thousands died in the making of this. <laughs> in the making of uh, uh, Avebury and, and such like. Oh um, yes, that's, so, that's a slightly less 
But alternatively, so and there certainly was, it appears to be that there were certain hierarchies in society, but probably not as unequal as it is now in certain places or kind yeah. of when you think of those kind of, you know, the pharaohs who were godlike and then a huge slave population. Yeah. I don't think it was that. Um, but there is a big question, you know, kind of dragging tens of tons of stone, even a relatively short distance, a couple of kilometres, is a huge undertaking. Raising them up, digging the holes. I mean, if you've ever dug a garden or tried mm. to, I don't know, get a fence post in a hole without the help of, you know, friends and family. Like superly Neolithic men, yeah. Or a mini digger. You kind of go, crikey, this is hard work. Yeah. Um, so maybe it was considered to be uh, labour in as, as kind of worship, as honour. Yeah. Was, as a kind of dutiful, a duty or a sacrifice yeah. or a kind of um, gift, or it might have been sort of um, demanded labour in the way you know, almost like a sort of a system where you have to give a certain number of hours of effort to a sort of feudal, to the fe- feudal yeah, type or it might just have been a sort of bit more plain old kind of forced labour, you know the war band thing yeah. had already happened you've got a bunch of people from the the neighboring region and you're going to work them until they keel over so we've had a lovely walk along the ridgeway actually well, the ridgeway we couldn't record up there dear listeners because it was so windy <laughs> um and we i that that face on uh, rainstorm was quite something i'm still stinging i it. feel like i've had a facial <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't yeah, need yeah. to go to the beautician i anymore. feel like i had a facial right down to my bone <laughs> it's, a, it's just a skeleton skull um but now we're in Gosh, yeah now we're tucked in the lee of a of, of someone's burial mound i don't yeah. think they'd mind hopefully hopefully, no, well, hopefully they won't stir because these are quite creepy i find them quite creepy oh do you that's interesting in a sort of i think i there's barrows in lord of the rings and these horrible spirits come out of them and do terrible <laughs> things to the to the hobbits. And I, I, I read that as a young kid, and I've always, in a delicious way though, there's a sort of creepiness about these. Who who lies here? Who lies here? I, I think I think it's a good question because they are a presence in the landscape. You're yeah. absolutely right. So we are here at Overton Hill, which is a high ground spot. It's um, in modern terms the start of the Ridgeway National Trail uh, in prehist- uh, it was a site where they found Anglo-Saxon burials they found Roman burials going back through time uh, these mounds are Bronze Age so from about 2400 BC to about 800 BC but these mounds are probably from around 2000 to 1500 BC just gently rounded aren't they they're just sort of very yeah. soft over time they've grassed over and they've slumped down a little bit but actually, where you can see, Children. there's a ditch. Uh, now, look across that way, and you'll be able to see it a bit more easily. Can you see in the ditch, and you can see it's got uh, is where the nettles are growing, whereas the rest of uh, the field here, the natural land surface, you haven't got uh, as many nettles, you haven't got a greenness, you've got a sort of brownier, sort of more wintry grass look. Yeah. That's, so that's what I was... Um, so they were surrounded by their own little rampart, not, well, no, a, a little... Ditch. A little ditch, yeah. So um, these are bell barrows, they're known as, because they're the shape of a bell. So you've kind of got the mound, which makes the, the bell bit, and then a flat bit, and then a little ditch that encircles... And like the lip of a bell. Yeah. yeah. And um, and the ditch would have partly been to dig up earth to make the mound, um, but also partly to demarcate this as a special place. I see. And so these would have been used for cremations... Sometimes full body burials, often in a crouched position. Imagine sort of curled up on your side as if you're asleep. Mm. And when you find people in these crouched burials, these fetal position burials, often they're buried with a beaker, either at their foot, maybe near their head. Um, And they've done sediment analysis. They've done analysis of what's on the insides of the pottery. And they think sometimes milk products, because you can sort of, Mm. they can still get the traces of the the fats from the dairy. but also um, something that might have been kind of honey or mead, something like that, like or a sweet alcoholic drink. Um, and so when you're cheesy, cheesy, cheese and booze, cheese and wine, yeah, yeah it's a cheese right. and wine party yeah, okay. for for the afterlife, for the dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been to a few of those parties. <laughs> <laughs> when mentioning no names, <laughs> I love the way these gulls are just catching the sunlight. There's, there's sort of birds drifting over the whole time. In fact, there was a couple of birds of prey. 
hovering over the back, well, high up above the back. Oh, is it a rainbow? Rainbow. You see just that little hint of rainbow. Yeah, it's just... Oh, it's a bow. Yeah, whole it's over, all the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Although I learned the other day that a rainbow is actually a 360 degree circle because it's the refraction of light. So like a... Like a you just can't see the other half of the bow because oh, the earth is so in the way. And, and I think that's the wonderful thing about the Ridgeway. It's super accessible, but you also do feel like you're getting this sort of breath of fresh air, this, this new perspective. Mm. And if you want to, um, there's so much brilliant archaeology and heritage to explore as well. Fantastic. You can go back in time as well as go into nature. And as we've been walking down here, we've, we just encountered clouds of birds, and starlings, yeah. field fairs. Birds, I, without my binoculars, I'm feeble, so I couldn't identified but I think golden plovers there were all sorts of creatures out there and there are constantly birds of prey up in up above I I I loved walking with you because (laughs) I'm not I'm not great at birds and so I kind of go oh look at all those twiddly birds floating (laughs) about in the wind um or fluttering from that hedge to that hedge but yeah it's lovely that you can put a sort of a name a name a name to the shape it's a bit lame today and tell me um well, thank you. But uh, tell me about their their kind of habitat and their behaviour. It's amazing. It's really it's it's a very special place and very different to kind of there's skylarks going over as we speak here. Um, yeah, it's it's just very different. It's really I I love coming here because it does feel different. It feels as you say, you can get a great view very easily. Mm. You can get away from things very easily, but it is quite safe. And there's a nice wood beamed pub somewhere. Yeah, within, within half a mile. Or a mile. <laughs> There's always something. Uh, yeah. Or if you're valley. if you're worried, you know, it's it's a very well signposted route, so you're not gonna accidentally wander off and get lost. You're not gonna fall down any precipices. No bears are gonna eat you. Um, <laughs> in that regard, it's all it's such a shame. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the sheep know that we don't, but they're no, all they're walking all, that all way suddenly gone and legging it. <laughs> one's got a real limp over there. It's like me with my bad knees. Um, <laughs> should we wander onto the sanctuary? Should let's do a, it. Yeah, let's go and have a look at this. Fergus is hiding in the hedge, <laughs> trying to uh, Hedgehog. find a not so windy place. Yeah, this, is, this isn't too bad. Um, right. we are, we've just come away from, oh, there goes a cement mixer, a, a, a non Neolithic cement mixer. <laughs> we've, got, we've just come away from the barriers. Very close by is this strange place called the sanctuary, which well, I don't know how to describe this. What's 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 going on here? Just circles of looks like bits of concrete. Uh, they are bits of concrete uh, inserted in the 1930s, I believe. They mark the sites of timber posts and stones that were here. So when the archaeologists excavated it, um, they they found these post holes, the stone sockets. Uh, the timbers obviously rotted away. But they could, they could tell they were timber, though, from the, yes. from the type of hole it was. Exactly so, yeah. So it's kind of like a mould, basically. So you can see the change in the colour of the, the soil where it's kind of fallen into the gaps when as the timber rots away. And from the shape and the, the texture of the outside of the hole, you can work out that it was a piece of wood, basically. Gosh, now, what even we... in the 30s, they, could, they knew that. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. I'm not, not dissing the 30s, but I think that's, yeah. quite, a, that's quite advanced. And it. also, when it's a kind of circular tree-shaped thing, okay. the chances of it having been a stone pillar are okay. less likely, perhaps. Sure. Um, and that they're very similar to the, the post holes that you would find in sort of palisaded fenced enclosures and also hut circles. So you kind of go, OK, well, they were building huts with timbers, so these look exactly like those right okay um, and what this is it's, it's a kind of a complex of circles concentric circles um, we call it the sanctuary but we don't know what they called it or how it was used indeed um, and sometimes when you see the archaeological constructions of reconstructions of sites like this you kind of see things that look like they're all telegraph poles like very neat and mm. orderly but don't forget, these are trees that someone's chopped down to bring to incorporate into a, a monument. Yes, yeah, so, so not, they could not pine been... trees. They're, no, they're, 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 trees, trees around here look like beech trees or hawthorns. <clears throat> yeah, or oaks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and they would potentially have been carved like a totem pole. They could have been. They could have kept their branches above ground. They could even have been upended so that you had the roots sticking up out and the rest of the tree planted 
sort of upturned entirely kind of wow, surreal really and weird. fantastical yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also because of the way that the posts are aligned in the sanctuary it looks like they were built to potentially or they certainly could have supported something above ground so kind of lintels or a framework even some kind of roof structure and then this is where you can absolutely go to town you can be as creative and psychedelic as you like because don't imagine this kind of sterile you know telegraph pole monument it could have been festooned with heads or bones or entrails or bits of um bits of textiles fluttering flags flags why not Uh, flowers why not um, but but, but I quite like bones and entrails. <laughs> so imagine, you know, those yeah. kind of um, Himalayan peaks where you've got heaped stones mm. and it's kind of a natural landscape. But then you've also got those uh, prayer flags that are fluttering in the in the breeze. Um, we could have had something like that here. It could have been really sort of vivid and arresting or scary. It could have been welcoming. Um, I think very different to Avebury this is quite a small monument and I think when you think of these stones and quite closely spaced together well, they're really, the there's timbers. loads of them it must have been quite dense then yeah. the structure was very oh what's the word I'm looking for kind of cosy and compact and well yeah but maybe not cosy maybe sort of prohibitive Oh, really? So it might have Not been a, a place that you can't go into. That is the kind I don't know. The holy of holies, oh, you right. know, us riffraff must stay over here near the hedge, or not even enter this sacred precinct, perhaps. So this might have been a place that people weren't allowed to go to. It might have been a place that you had to keep away from. Even you would pay your respects, perhaps, but from a reverential and safe distance. So you can think of it in two ways. I always think of Avebury as a place where everyone's welcome and it could have been a bit of a party town. Whereas somewhere like the Sanctuary, I think certainly times that I've been here on my own and just kind of spent time in the monument, it makes me feel quite quiet and still, I guess, I think. Sort of subdued by this thing, or sort of more sort of. Yeah, like I need to hush my mouth and pay attention a bit more rather than kind of be gobby and going, oh, isn't this lovely? You kind of. Um, I love that. Do you getting? I mean, this, what we were saying earlier, it does have an effect on this landscape I think in different so. ways, and that's really. I love the way you populated yeah. this. So I have been here before, but I was a bit sort of underwhelmed by by the kind of not reconstruction. But actually, now what you've said, what it could be, it's a totally different place to me. What a place. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, really interesting. And um, it's really interesting because right. actually if you look out over the landscape, over there you can see West Kennet's Long Barrow, which predates this. The sanctuary was constructed about 2,500 BC, so four and a half thousand years ago. It makes it about contemporaneous. Um, it makes it about the same age as Stonehenge, when the big stones were erected at Stonehenge. But that monument over there on that field which is about a mile away uh, that's West Kennet Longbarrow that's a communal tomb that was built by people about 3,600 years ago so it was a thousand years old before people put these this monument here I mean it's just amazing I mean it is so close it's to describe it is it is like a well it's it's a long barrow, but it is just a lump, a long lump in the landscape, but quite sort of sinister in the middle of the field there. Sort of, <laughs> yeah. um, maybe I'm going too big on the sinister stuff, but it's. it's <laughs> I mean, you could also say, yeah, we are. So this is east. This is towards the sunrise of West Kennet Long Barrow. You've also got Silbury Hill there in the dip between the two hills, which is this extraordinary flat-topped, entirely human-made mound, um, almost 40 metres high. It's the biggest mound in Europe. Man, very odd biggest man-made mound oh, yeah sorry yeah, yeah, yeah sorry biggest biggest human-made mound and no one really knows the meaning of Silbury Hill and maybe yeah we don't know or... there's a theory actually uh, the archaeologist who did the recent excavations uh, a guy called um, Jim Leary his theory is that it marks the headwaters of sacred rivers and that this actually is a landscape that you have to interpret as not just about stone and monumental stone building but it's a landscape of water and waterways as well definitely yeah. need to bring Marianne here if you come walking <laughs> you've really done a brilliant job of populating it and bringing it to life and anyway. you, you take the facts and they are sacred fine but 
from there you make a leap of imagination to make it make sense to people in the way that we tell stories and tell stories about ourselves, about who we are, our place in the world and about the landscape. And this, this short walk round Avery does that in spades. Gosh. Well, to the barrow. To the barrow. To the barrow with our Come trusted friend. photographer. I know. And the rain is coming back. It's coming back. So this is the sound of us coming out of the wind and rain into... in the depths. Did you expect this? No. So I know that lots of people still use these sites because they consider them still to be safe. We've come in and some banging the drum in the depths of the very end chamber. Strong waft of incense coming out of the chamber. something really magical about a place that was revered what, five and a half thousand years ago, no more. Um, this was constructed about 3,600 BC, so about five and a half thousand years ago, and it's still being revered and respected and treated as a sacred place now. And that's kind of cool, right? Yeah, it really is, and it's just the most amazing place to see from outside. It's it gets more and more impressive as you get closer and closer. Mm. Uh, it's, it is very different. And then you probably have to get this open, would you say? Um, this, yeah, and the rest of it is, is just earth, so there's no other chambers in the, in the rest of it. Um, it's a proper cavernous space. Um, and yet also quite intimate. It does make you sort of bow, doesn't it? Yeah. Sort of, acknowledge that you're entering into somewhere that feels very different and I think that's possibly why they built these kinds of tombs it feels like you've gone underground mm. or into yeah, the earth and the earth is wrapped up over the stones so it's like the stones have been raised up and you've gone under so it makes sense to me I think that if partly this is about embedding your ancestors in the earth that you're in a belief system where your subsistence farmers, you know, you are entirely dependent on the cycle of nature and the cycle of life and the sun coming up, the animals staying healthy, the crops growing, you being able to bring the harvest in. It makes sense that your, your most sacred spirits are attached to your ancestors, protectors, guardians are in the earth yeah. as much as in the sky or in the water. And these sites and stones, these are exactly the same kinds of stones as we saw on Fifield Down. Um, and massive, and you feel you can sort of feel the weight of them around you. I think you can. And then this is the end chamber, and this, can you see, you've got these massive, massive sarsen stones, and then in between you've got really neat dry stone walling. Now some of it, okay, look above us, that bit of concrete, that plinth, that's, yeah. that's modern. Yeah, let's see the lighting. This is, um, this is the original. Yeah. They made that today. It's really neat, isn't it? Yeah, just to block up that. To, to, well, a sort of design. Yeah. It's intended to, to be like that. And I think there's some like really fantastic features. Again, you don't know whether they're intended or whether they're accidental and weird. I'm, I'm leading things into it. Like, I think this stone has really amazing kind of holes in it. 
They've chosen such a lumpy, bumpy, almost looks like bone, doesn't it? It does. It's got those survive sockets and jaw. Oh gosh, look how when the light goes on it, the yeah. eyes and the nose. It's very. My face is coming out of the rock. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, it's sort of. And you think that might and be and deliberately these, chosen? These sarsen stones do weather to a sort of bone colour, like a weathered bone colour. <laughs> I so they would have touched these stones. I think so. Tactile. And the question, question is again with the sanctuary is it that everybody was allowed in here? Was this the bone house and you could come and go and it was quite. Check out with your ancestors' bones and how Yeah, or like, I don't know, you kind of, you've got a special journey to make or I don't know you found out you're pregnant and maybe you come here to kind of have a moment or make an offering or was it a place where only the chosen only the certain initiated or selected were allowed in and actually everyone else was out there perhaps Mm. surrounding or maybe it's the kind of place where it could be both things you know like a parish church um, where it's a coffee morning on a Thursday but if there were a big funeral or something, then maybe it would be a different place. And you're surrounded by dead bodies because they're in the churchyard. But it's yeah. not just a funerary monument, it's also a life monument. It's a multifunctional. Multifunctional. Well, if you put this amount of effort in, you, you probably want to <laughs> pop back in and use it. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's great. Again, it's one of those interpretations. Where and it's against what is the sort of perhaps the tradition of it's just a tomb. It's just shut yes. off. Well, you sho- shove people in and then close the door again and then you've done the burial yeah. thing. And actually, this forecourt area, so the bit that is sort of held by the, the edifice at the front, yeah, that appears to have lots of archaeological evidence, little chips of bone, evidence of fires, pieces of charcoal. So it looks like people were busy out there doing stuff. So maybe that's where lots of the, the ceremonial activity was. And again, ceremonial not to be kind of dour and straight-faced and very sombre. It could have been quite celebratory or quite messy yeah, or chaotic. I think it's that sort of blending of life and death that's yeah. making it less, I, uh, I don't know, tumultuous, that, that, that sort of less final. Yeah, I think so. And we did do it a bit in sort of modern secular Britain. I mean, imagine a a where you have a wake yeah. and you eat and you drink and maybe there's music or maybe cry jokes and you cry. And and yeah, it's all yeah. those things. Um, but there's a sort of sustaining of life as well as an honouring of the dead. Yeah. And I think definitely, I mean, people would have lived with death a lot more. Really, yeah. and I think no one was going away to die somewhere quietly. That You know, they're in your home. Um, children would have died. Babies and then you're in their died. home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know whether this would have been a sort of prescribed, a proscribed place, or whether this would have been a, a place for gathering, or perhaps a bit of both. I don't know. I feel very moved by that experience. Yeah, very warmed. Me too. Moved, warmed, and kind of, yeah, there was something very special about hearing the drums in the depths. And, I think um, so. And we're going to head back to April, I think. That's right, yeah, we're, we're curving round in the shadow of enormous Silbury Hill, which is right in front of us, an extraordinary and absurd monument. And then we're heading north and walking up a stone avenue back into the sacred Superhenge of Avery, where there is also a really excellent National Trust cafe that serves tea and cake. And I think with all the wonders that we've seen, the next wonder that I might want to see is the, <laughs> an empty tea. Let's do it. But thank you, Marianne. It's been absolutely brilliant adventure, despite the weather. It's and, been um, and well we'll we'll do more Ridgeway walks because it's so special. Brilliant. I'd love that. Yeah, come with me on more adventures. So that was an extremely rainy outing, but saved by the brilliance of my guest, Marianne Hota. Thank you, Marianne, for that brilliant walk and talk out in the wilds of one of my favourite places in the British countryside, the English countryside, the Wiltshire Downs. And just lovely to hear, well, lovely to be there in this ancient place and for there to be so much wildlife um, and a sense of real sort of connection to those ancient ancient people who now the landscape's empty, but they're, they're, there's all these signs and signals of, 
all these layers of civilizations that have come before us. So, and she really brought it to life. So, th- thank you. Magical stuff. And if you've never walked the Ridgeway, really give it a go this spring and summer. It's probably, <laughs> I'd avoid doing it in deep winter, but get up there and enjoy it. And, and hopefully, you'll see some of, some of the marvels. Talking of marvels, <laughs> back in the studio with, um, my podcast team of Jack and Hannah who helped produce the podcast and make it make it real, make it special. And without them, it wouldn't exist. Uh, I promised last week that they would be here and here they are. We're back. We're back. <laughs> We're back. Happy New Year. Jack is here in the studio and Hannah is remote in Wales, but on a little screen. So hello. Hello, friend. Hello. Miles away. Um, so, yes, we, as I said last week, the a typical podcast we go out in the wilds and then we come back to the cosy studio and chat and reflect on what's been happening and in the podcast and in our wild countryside lives. And it's been a while since I've seen you both. It's well before Christmas, long before Christmas. Lots has happened. Any any exciting tales of, of the wild? Yes, I have been in Wales making the most of the rain. Yeah. Um, it's been <laughs> terrible, um, but kind of cleansing, refreshing, so nice to be out in the cold and the wet after the indulgence of Christmas. Uh, well, did you indulge then? Did you, 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 did you have it? Of course, you went for it? Of course. Yeah. Proper festival time, winter stuff, lots of food, lots of love, lots of joy. Excellent. That things. sounds like a good Christmas. Yeah, I, I sort of, I, I was I normally really busy at Christmas time and that, you know, that bit between Christmas and New, New Betwixtmas. Year. Betwixtmas, yeah. Uh, I did nothing this year. And when it rained, I almost sort of went, okay. I am compelled to stay inside and dream about adventures rather than having them. Um, so, yeah, Jack, were you out and about? Did get out about those. I think since last week I've seen you both. Um, just before Christmas, we had some snow. Uh, yes, there was a bit. Yeah, I didn't have any snow. Wow, down where I am, uh, <sighs> we had a a flurry of snow, a night of snow. Um, which stayed around for ages because it was really cold sort of the the following magic. days so it just when well, normally you get it you get it overnight and by the end of the day it's already already turned slushy and melted away whereas this time it yeah it just lingered for ages the tops of the fences were covered for i want to say a good five days or so just untouched um so that was nice to get out in and it's nice to see Did the sledging I didn't go sledging. Uh, it was, it was. Unfortunately, it was the week I was feeling quite, a little bit rough, so uh, no. <laughs> sledging wasn't really on the agenda. Um, but I could still appreciate it. We missed you both because you were ill or away, and uh, now you're back. We can celebrate Christmas slightly belatedly. I have a little Christmas present for you both. So oh bear with me, listeners, while I just sort of fumble around in the studio here to see if I can find that. It's behind me. This is very it's not very well wrapped. Jack, will you open it for us? Oh. <laughs> what is that? So these are. I don't know if. Well, it's, it's a long. So it's run, a very. Yeah, it's long. Long, thin parcel. Thing. Very long. It's and about thin. the height of Fergus sitting down. Yeah. Oh, it's a black cloth with a nice red trim. Yeah, it's very, very smart. Uh, I particularly selected this. There, is, there are two covers for these things. Are you going to let Jack open? Oh, yeah, I should let Jack No, no, oh, no reveal it. I want you to reveal yeah, it. Yeah, I do make reveal. Okay, well, it's going to come up sections at a time. I can't get into <laughs> uh, it. This is a struggle. Oh. It's, that's part of a... It looks like a, a rod to a me. A rod, a fishing rod, I should say. Oh, my goodness. Uh, there, are t- there are two fishing rods in this pack. Inspired by our dear friend Kevin Parr. Oh my goodness! And inspired by um, the joy of getting out into the countryside and kind of one of the most wonderful experiences of 2022. There's two rods. Wow. One is a three-piece fishing rod and one is a two-piece fishing rod. So you're going to have to. Oh, I could cry. That is so sweet. Thank you. um, You can fight amongst yourselves. I haven't. I've only got one reel. (laughs) 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 So. uh, but I might be able to get another reel at some stage. I just have, uh, I've, I've been, I've been looking on, uh, you know, those auction websites and those yes. classified ads websites, and I found some <laughs> locally. Uh, and this one I repaired from scratch. So it's completely all rebuilt rod. So that one is particularly wow, special. Way. 
Anyway, happy Christmas, chaps, and uh, maybe we'll Thank go fish. You. Maybe we'll go fishing again. Gosh, I feel like I'm on the repair shop. This is. <laughs> This, this one is I a, can't wait to get my hands on it. Uh, yeah, so many happy fishing trips. And we've got a fishing episode coming up in this series with, with Kevin, which will well, was incredibly magical. And I hope we can mm. convey some of that when we when we come around to editing it. This, uh, this present is kind of a spoiler as to how the day went. <laughs> we've yeah. really been teasing up this, this episode. I think we've mentioned <laughs> it a few times. Now the rods have come it's out. It's just so much fun. Other episodes, I should mention, we've got some really good guests coming up. We've got Keris Matthews. We've got a recording with Keris Matthews. Wow, oh, really? Uh, which is really exciting. So the musician and a regular DJ on Radio 6, and she's just a fantastic... She's got such connection to the countryside. Looking forward to hearing that. One of our colleagues, Margaret, met up with her. And next week, we have the special of me going down a... What is it? It's a whole... <laughs> Me going into a cave in the Mendips with historian Amy Jeffs, and that's really worth listening out for because of, well, Amy sings in the depths, and it's so beautiful. Anyway, back to this, back to today's episode. We, well, when we mentioned, you mentioned snow there, and my regret of not actually getting a recording of it. I wonder if anyone out there recorded their footsteps in snow or could record us some footsteps in snow and send it in. It could be our sound of the week, which is one of our favourite things, is when listeners send in some recordings that, that you've sent in, that you, the listeners, have sent in, of birdsong or footsteps in snow or splashing about in a stream or a waterfall, sound of a tractor on a distant hillside. All these things, just little postcards of little audio snippets of country life. We love to hear them. And our favourites each week or our favourite emails from you each week, we give a little treasure from our podcast library, which is an extensive collection of fantastic countryside books. And I have a book here because we have a very special sound of the week and email of the week, which I have... We've winged it all the way via the powers of modern technology to Hannah and Gower. To uh, Would you be able to read it? Yes. So this is from Marcy Price in York in Maine. I love your podcast. I listen every day on my morning walks on the northeast Atlantic coastline. Your podcast relaxes me immensely and I've learned so much. I backpacked around England and Scotland in 1983 at 19 years old, staying in hostels, hitchhiking and using my Brit Rail pass. I fell in love with your country. I'm planning to return for my 60th birthday in about a year, and your podcast has helped me with ideas of where to visit, especially places I missed back in 83. I thought you might like to hear this recording of our evening springtime peepers and a loon with its haunting call. This recording is made from a small lake and wetlands where I have a little cottage. Focus, I have a question. Yeah, yeah. Well, technically two. What is a peeper and what is a loon? So, okay, a loon, I can tell you straight away, yep. is um, it's a bird. It's like one of our divers. So I, when I was up in Scotland, I heard a similar sort of sound to that last year. Uh, ooh, sort of weird. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> spot on. Was it, was it like one was in the room there? Um, but, it, do you know, that that loon sound is so evocative of so many American movies where you're out in the swamps or mm. that kind of eerie, spooky sound. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant capture there, Marcy. And our peepers are a little, our frogs, I think. So that's that sort of solid chorus of high-pitched peeping uh, where, where the little frogs. And Marcy calls them the small chorus frog. So um, cool, really lovely to hear that from, from faraway places. And... Mm. We'd love to hear more. We'd love to hear your sounds. Don't mind where you are in the world. Marcy, thank you very much. I have a book for you from the podcast library, and it's called The Accidental Countryside, Hidden Havens for Britain's Wildlife by Stephen Moss, very great naturalist and TV producer. And um, it's 
hopefully perfect for when you come over and visit because it's full of ideas of places to go to see the very best of Britain's wildlife. So we'll wing that to you and hope you enjoy it. Great. Well, hopefully we will be out enjoying new fishing rods and new adventures. Uh, but next week, join us for the Mendip Caving Expedition. But for now, thank you so much for listening and goodbye.